Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have him have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jew said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he's made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. 
Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Lord, these are not new images to us. We've heard this story for ages. It's been told and retold. We've seen the movies. But we ask that even as we look at it depicted by the Apostle John in Your Word today, that You would make Your Word come alive again. That, this, that, the, that the point of this passage would be clear to us. That You would use Your Word to convict, to encourage, to create new life. Lord, apart from You, we can do nothing. And so I ask that You would give us clarity, You would give us understanding into Your Word that we might worship You as You deserve. We ask this in Your name. Amen. This section is really an exposition of the text we came across earlier in John 1. If you recall from a few months ago, I guess more than a few months ago. In John 1, chapter 9, the Apostle writes in his introduction, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Rather than receiving Jesus... He's rejected by the Jews and given over to the Gentiles. And then the question becomes, well, what will the Gentiles do with Jesus now? And that is what we see in this text, what the Gentiles do with Jesus. So beginning at verse 28, let's look at how the true king is handed to the Gentiles. Verses 28 through 32 emphasize really the complete breakdown of rational thinking and emphasizes the massive injustice that's taking place. And the section is filled with shocking irony. What shouldn't happen does. And what should happen doesn't. And we see this in a number of ways. First... It notes that this took place in early morning. The Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate in the early morning to avoid any interference from anybody that might see him and recognize what's going on. They want to get this done as quickly as possible and have him executed. 
Secondly, it says that these Jews did not enter into Pilate's residence, the headquarters. They're more worried about being defiled by being on Gentile ground than they are about the deed, the evil deed that they're actually pursuing. And they do this because, or I should say don't do this, because they don't want to miss out on eating the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, which symbolically pointed to the real Lamb of God, who would be crucified to take away the sins of the world. They're actually in process of attacking this true Lamb that the meal symbolically pointed to. Thirdly, they don't answer Pilate's question about what he's been accused of. Instead, they just claim he must have done something wrong. We wouldn't be here if he hadn't done something wrong. And they're clearly seeking to get this punishment in order to avoid justice. See, they have a sentence clearly in their mind, but they have no crime. Fourthly, Pilate says, well, judge him by your own law, but they can't. They can't judge him by their own law. They, feel, they fail to heed Pilate's suggestion or command. And in fact, they ignore it and simply note that they can't carry out the sentence they want. See, in reality, they have not judged Jesus by their law. If they were truly going to examine him according to what the Bible says the Messiah would be like, they would quickly recognize this is the Son of God. But they can't. Everything about the trial that He went through before Him was a farce. If they were to look at the law, it would only confirm what Jesus says about Himself. But they can't have that confirmed. Because they don't want that kind of a king. They want to kill him instead. So they have to turn away from God's law and instead turn to the world in order to complete their evil deed. And another subtle irony is found in verse 32 where it says, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And you might recall, a few months ago, when we looked at John 10.32, Jesus made a very similar statement. In John 10.32, He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. And I want to highlight just a few, couple of phrases from that statement in John 10.32. First of all, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up from the earth. This is a clear reference to crucifixion. He's hung on a cross. He will be hung on a cross. Elevated above the earth in humiliation. The typical capital punishment that the Jews would use was stoning. And that's why, that's what happens to Stephen and 
Later on, Paul. And in order to have Jesus crucified, the Gentile Romans need to get involved. So the Jews need to hand their Messiah King over to the Gentiles. Which brings me to the second phrase that he uses. So when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. In rejecting their king, the salvation, which was meant for the Jews, gets passed on to the Gentiles. And the theology behind this is explained further in Romans 9 through 11. We're not going to read all of that, but I would encourage you to look at Romans 11. As Paul unpacks this, I'll just read a few verses. Romans 11, 11, Paul says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, the Jews' trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And then if you move on to verse 30, he says this, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So this very act of the Jews handing Jesus over to the Gentiles, God uses to bring salvation not just to the Jews, but to the, all the nations of the world. That's what's going on here. God uses this injustice to bring salvation to the Gentiles. You and me. This injustice is what brings salvation to us. And my point in bringing that out is not just the theology, but the reality that God uses injustice frequently. To bring about his good purposes. If you follow Jesus, expect that you too will have to face injustice. Could be from authorities whose job it is to keep justice, like a judge or police officers or governing officials. That's what Jesus faced. And when this happens, when you have to face injustice, I'd encourage you, remember this event and remind yourself that your very salvation as a Gentile was brought about because of injustice. God hates injustice, but He also uses injustice for great good. Remind yourself, God is at work in all things. You don't need to know what He's doing. You don't need to know why He's doing it. But you do need to know that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Secondly, note how the true King and the King of Truth is the King of Truth. The true King is the King of Truth. Beginning in verse 33. We see that almost every time in this section, Pilate speaks, he speaks with a question. 
The only times that he makes a statement is when he's making some sort of declaration about the truth of who Jesus actually is. And I believe John's being purposeful with this because it demonstrates the challenge that's actually being presented to the Gentiles. Since the Jews have rejected their king, the question comes up, what are the Gentiles going to do with him? That is, what will you do with Jesus? Pilate, in this text, is really presented as a representative of all Gentiles. And being a thinking person, Pilate starts by asking questions of him. Verse 33, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? I emphasize you because actually in the Greek, that's the first word. You. As if Pilate is saying, You? You're the king of the Jews? Almost certainly Pilate's mocking him here. If he's not mocking him, it's possible that he's trying to find out if there's some sort of insurrectionist tendency in Jesus. He might be desiring to establish his own kingdom. So he might be asking the question with the effect, do you think you should be king? Are you trying to be king? But my guess is it's primarily mockery. Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? See, Jesus, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, doesn't directly answer Pilate's question. He goes right after what Pilate needs to hear. He deals with Pilate. What Pilate needs. So he asks, Are you asking because you really want to know about me? And Pilate responds, Why should I care? I'm not a Jew. Why should I care about the Jews? Why should I care about the king of the Jews? I only ask because you must have done something nasty because the whole nation, he says, and the chief priests want you dead. So you must have done something. What could you have done that was so awful that your whole nation and its religious establishment are against you? Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. See, Jesus' response makes it very clear. He's not an insurrectionist. He's not a rebel. But at the same time, he doesn't deny that he is the king of the Jews. So Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He clarifies to Pilate what his purpose is. It's not to raise some insurrection. But he deals with Pilate again with right where Pilate needs to hear truth. I came. My purpose in being here is not to start a rebellion. It's to proclaim the truth. 
And Jesus puts Pilate on his heels with this. And we see this in how Pilate responds. Because he asks, what is truth? And of all the things that Jesus has been saying to him up to this point, this is what Pilate reacts to. The concept of truth. And I believe he reacts to this because ultimately this is the big question for Gentiles. Gentiles are obsessed with truth. Not being blessed with the law and the prophets like the Jews, the Gentiles have always been searching for the truth. That's why there's an abundance of philosophers both in the East and in the West. People searching for truth. So Pilate's question is the Gentile question. What is truth? How do we know it? And we see that the truth interests Pilate, but as a typical Gentile, he's more interested in expediency than the truth. And you can tell in his response to Jesus that Pilate has rejected, rejected the pursuit of truth in order to pursue what's most, or I should say, what's more convenient to him. He's interested in expediency, a typical politician. And as a politician, it's actually the truth that Pilate wants to avoid. Pilate's real battle is the battle of all Gentiles. Do you really want to know the truth? That's the question for Pilate. That's the question for you. Do you really want to know the truth? Or do you want what is convenient to you and affirming of your desires? As Jesus says, those who are of the truth listen to His voice. And His Word is generally not convenient and it's rarely affirming of us. But it's true. It is true. Thirdly, let's look at how the true king is mocked. Jesus, in verses 38 through 1911, is mocked in a number of ways. First, despite being found innocent of any crime, he's actually put on par with a convicted and dangerous criminal named Barabbas. Mark in his gospel tells us that when Pilate realized that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong, that he was just a victim of the Jewish leader's envy, he wanted to move Jesus aside. And so he appeals to this Jewish custom of releasing a criminal at the Passover. He can get Jesus released by appealing to the crowds, assuming, hey, if this is the king, they probably want him released. Then he can avoid releasing somebody else and kill two birds with one stone, being a good politician. He's trying to be expedient by keeping this custom without harming his reputation by releasing a known criminal but his ploy backfires, and it backfires horribly because the crowds demand the release of Barabbas instead. 
And I just want you to notice this about Pilate. Pilate knows Jesus isn't guilty. But again, Pilate doesn't want the truth. Pilate wants what is convenient in order to keep the peace here in Israel and to guard his reputation. Crowds demand Barabbas instead. The ESV describes Barabbas as a robber here. The word is probably more translated, better translated as an insurrectionist. In fact, the ESV translates this word insurrectionist in Mark, Mark 15, 7. And that's what Barabbas is. He was a zealot trying to take part in the overthrow of the Romans. A convicted murderer. Another interesting thing about Barabbas is the meaning of his name. Bar-Abbas. Means the son of the father. And you see the irony Jesus, who is accused of being an insurrectionist, is actually exchanged for a convicted insurrectionist. And the true Son of God the Father is killed in the place of a man whose name is simply the Son of the Father. Jesus hasn't even been accused of committing a crime as far as Rome is concerned. but he's traded for a convicted criminal. The second way Jesus is mocked is that despite having found Jesus innocent of any crime, Pilate still has him flogged. And historians tell us that a Roman flogging was a brutal beating that always preceded the execution of a capital sentence on male offenders. The prisoner was stripped, often tied to a post, and beaten on the back by several guards using short leather whips studded with sharp pieces of bone and metal. No limit was set on the number of blows, and often the punishment itself was fatal. So after being cruelly and unjustly flogged, Jesus then mocked by the Roman soldiers. It says in verse 2, The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. The mockery continues with Jesus then being put on scornful display, only to be rejected. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. A theologically loaded statement. Pilate says more here than he's aware, just like Caiaphas did earlier. The Jews are presented with their true king, mockingly dressed, and who only appears in such mockery because he chooses to. Because he chose to take on the form of a man, as it says in Philippians 2, 7 through 8. He emptied himself, 
taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's when the Jews see Jesus dressed in this mock kingly attire, that is what provokes them to ask Him to be crucified. Pilate was probably trying to pacify the bloodlust of the Jews by giving Jesus over to be flogged. But instead of pacifying it, it only provokes their ire even more. The point is Pilate can't get away from having to make a final decision about Christ. As much as Pilate wants to avoid it for his own sake, he can't get away with it. Because the Jews feel compelled to crucify him. Pilate has to make a call on Jesus. Is he or is he not telling the truth? Does he warrant crucifixion? And the question becomes far more weighty for him when he finds out that Jesus actually claims to be the Son of God. The text does not say why this brought Pilate fear, but quite likely Pilate senses that the stakes are being raised here. That this is not simply about keeping the Jews from causing an uprising or preventing some sort of rebellion in the city or determining even the innocence of a criminal. He's becoming aware that this trial is demanding more of him than he wants to give. He's recognizing that he himself is actually on trial. Is he going to pursue truth? Verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. The Pilate in his pride does not even recognize that he is just a puppet in the hand of God. He may be the most powerful man in Judea at this point. But as we read in Romans 13, God establishes the governing authority. For there is no authority except from God And those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Romans 13, 1-3. God establishes the governing authorities. All of them. All of them. All authorities. God establishes. Pilate's responsibility, as even we see here in Romans 13, is simply to establish justice, to do what's right. But instead, Pilate subverts justice and chooses to ignore truth 
because he's afraid of man. He's afraid of his own reputation being crumpled. And yet, despite Pilate's horrific failure as an unjust governor, Jesus notes that even a greater sin is being committed here. Even a greater sin than this horrific injustice, having a man flogged nearly to death for a crime he didn't commit, there's an even greater sin being committed than what Pilate's doing. What could be greater than an unjust government? Jesus says, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. It's not entirely clear who Jesus is referring to, but given the use of the singular pronoun, it's probably either Caiaphas or Judas. But it doesn't matter which of them, because the greater sin Jesus speaks to applies to both of them. Because both of them knew who Jesus was. And they sold him out in favor of something else. Judas just wanted a little more money. Just a little more money. And he sold Christ to his enemies. Caiaphas, just a few more years of being in charge of the religious establishment. And make no mistake... This is the same reason people walk away from Christ today. It's not because of ignorance. It's not because of suffering. People walk away from Christ because they just find something they want more. John 3, 19 you might recall, says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This brings us to the true king being rejected, verse 12. Chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. 
So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They cry out, we have no king but Caesar. These are probably the the darkest words ever spoken in the whole of Scripture. Maybe in the whole of history. The words finalize the Jews' rejection of their Messiah in favor of a pagan, licentious, and human Lord. And Pilate knows that if he rejects the Jews' plea to have Jesus crucified, he's going to actually be going against his own government, which has as its ambition to get everybody in the whole world to submit and cry out that that the emperor is God or the emperor is in charge. They want everybody to submit to the emperor. And so in one sense, this is exactly what Pilate should want as the governor representing Rome. To hear these words would sound like music to his ears. We have no king but Caesar. The Jews of all people to say this. But the cost for such submission on Pilate's behalf, is great. Pilate has to kill truth in order to gain the favor with the people. You see, Pilate illustrates the truth that people would kill truth in order to hold on to what they really want. Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty. That phrase, not guilty, not guilty, comes up like five times in this section. Pilate knew he wasn't guilty, but he was willing to ignore the truth in order to keep his reputation. Judas knew that Jesus was the Messiah. The sign proved it. Again and again, he saw what Jesus was able to do. He heard Jesus' teaching. He saw that He lined up with everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah. He was just disappointed that this Messiah wasn't going to give him what he really wanted. A little more money. The Jews did the same. It's when they saw Jesus in this mock-up garb of a king, that mockery of the crown and the robe was enough to remind them that he really was their king. And that's why they cried out, crucify him. It was seeing their king that provoked them to want to see him hang on a cross. Because that's not the kind of king they wanted. They wanted to kill the truth in order to hold on to what they really wanted more. And it was the truth that Jesus is the Son of God that intimidated Pilate. So you see, both the Jews and the Gentiles, when confronted with the truth, want to kill it 
in order to keep what they really want. They willingly embrace a lie in order to hold on to what they think is going to bring them more pleasure. And this applies to us beyond just what do you believe about Jesus. Yes, it does apply. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And will you follow Him? But it has application even beyond that. You might wonder, what would you have done if you were Pilate? If you were in Pilate's shoes, in that tense situation, what would you have done? Well, I think one way to know is, how do you treat the truth now? How do you respond when difficult questions come up? When controversial topics arise within your family or in friends? Topics like homosexuality and fornication or men's and women's roles, what the Bible says about them, or submission to authorities, including children's responsibility to submit to their parents and wives to husbands, or the fact that no one can be saved apart from faith in Christ, or what the Bible says about our use of money. See, we choose often to ignore the truth in order to gain the favor of others or to keep our position, our reputation with them. Or where we're at in our life. And this is, of course, what Pilate did. He chooses to ignore truth in order to keep his position as governor and in order to prevent some sort of rebellion or to prevent him from looking bad. And in so doing, he condoned and effectively, effectually participated in the flogging of Jesus and later on the crucifixion of Jesus. And yes, Pilate does declare multiple times for Jesus to be the king of the Jews. He declares the truth. Here is your king. But he also let Jesus' enemies have their way with him. And likewise, we might declare the truth that we're Christians, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, but do we let his enemies have their way with the truth and do nothing to stop it. To do nothing except just to let Jesus' name, His Scriptures, His truth be trampled on the ground and mocked and beaten. Those who want the truth according to Jesus in this passage hear His voice. And they love it. They love having a king who speaks the truth. 
They love having a king even that tells them how to live. Their greatest desire is to see their sin, to have it exposed, to confess it so that they can repent and live the life that He's designed for them to live. Let's pray. The truth is not convenient, Lord. And we recognize that like Pilate, we are tempted to just want to get out of its way because it's uncomfortable, it's offensive, and it certainly makes us look foolish at times in the eyes of those whom we respect and love. In short, God, we recognize that we are tempted just as Judas and Pilate were tempted. To reject Your truth, either because of its conviction in our own hearts or because we're worried about what others might think of us. We sell You out in favor of our own reputation. So we ask Your forgiveness. We're ashamed of that, Father. It crushes us to see what Pilate did to Your Son. And we recognize that we're not far from Him. But we want to be. And so we plead by the very blood that was shed by Your Son. We plead on His blood's behalf that You might forgive us and that You might be gracious to us, strengthen us to have the boldness and resolve to speak the truth according to Your Word that we might be faithful representatives of You. We ask these things in Your name. Amen.